My name is Merrill Dubrow, President and CEO of Mark Research and the Chair-Elect of the MS Marketing Research Program at Michigan State. Really excited to be part of Spartan Insights. Spartan Insights is a series of podcasts that I'll be hosting and interviewing one of the 350 alumni and board members from the Michigan State Marketing Research Program. Today's guest on Spartan Insights is Anita Watkins, Global Head of Qualitative at Kantar. Anita, thanks so much for being a guest on Spartan Insights. You're very welcome, Meryl. It's a delight to be here. Well, great. Well, let's just get right into it. So many people that we know, Anita, have, um, have gotten into marketing research by accident. How did you get into it? Well, I absolutely got into it by accident. So when I left college, I left with a marketing degree. And um, back in the day, I started in insurance sales. And I was recruited into a fast track management program and I was doing pretty well exceeding my goals. But as a part of uh, doing well in the business, I was asked to be on a task force from a consultant, Towers Perrin, who was set out to redesign the marketing function of this insurance company. And they asked me to conduct focus groups with the field sales personnel to learn about what their requirements were going to be for marketing. And I said, oh, sure, I can do that. Well, really, I had no idea what I was doing. But I did some reading and, and did some studying up. And as I was out doing these focus groups, I had this aha moment. And I thought to myself, I wonder if there is a potential career in conducting this kind of research where you interview people, do discussion groups, and write up the findings. You know what? I think there is a, a field for this. So I answered an ad and I wasn't really qualified for the role. I didn't have enough moderating experience, but I sold my way in. I was in that sales mentality. And I just told the, the hiring manager, I said, I'm very trainable, I'm coachable, I'm hungry to learn, and I just have a feeling this is the field for me. To make a long story short, this small firm hired me and I found a good mentor and I soaked up as much as I could from her and I learned and, and worked hard. And um, if you find something that you enjoy doing and how you enjoy spending your time, think about what that might look like in a role and then find a good mentor and work hard and go for it. You know, you bring up so many interesting points that I want to follow up with. Hungry to learn. So you had that back, let's just say in your 20s. My gut is you still have that today. Would you, would yes. you agree? How do you do that? So, so if I said to you, Anita, what have you learned in the last, I don't know, six months? Any takeaways or, or anything you could share? Sure, absolutely. I think one of the reasons I've actually stayed in Kantar for all these years and stayed in, in the business instead of going out on my own or setting up a freelance agency is that idea of continuing to learn. So I'm first really blessed to be part of a global organization, always getting exposed to the latest and greatest thinking in marketing insights, marketing research. So that's the first thing. I'm very blessed to have access to a lot of great brains around the planet who do what we do. And the second thing I would say is, is making time for that learning is really a challenge when you're in the working world. I recently took a, a digital a marketing class sponsored by Google that was a six-month class that took about eight, eight to ten hours a week, which really advanced my knowledge around digital marketing and analytics, got me exposed to things that I'd sort of dabbled in. Of course, this was a much more formal approach to learning. So whether it's formal like that or whether it's more kind of in sound bites such as podcasts or articles that you read or YouTube videos or books, I think being dedicated to lifelong learning learning is definitely the critical currency for lifelong employment. I think our world is changing so fast and industries are being disrupted, you know, by the minute. 
that we have to be dedicated to always pushing ourselves to continue learning. I think that's great. I, I think there's a huge takeaway in the first three or four minutes of this podcast. Lifelong learning. Well said. Really amazing. Um, all right. Let's talk about your current responsibilities. They've got to be huge. I mean, this is, a, <laughs> this is not messing around a big position. How many moderators do you have on staff? We approximate that we have over 800 qualitative researchers sitting in 50 countries where Kantar exists. Quite a, an extensive group of people um, to be responsible for. Wow, 800 people. Okay, so I might be going out on a limb, but I don't think so. If I called you perhaps the most important qualitative researcher in the world. I mean, think about that. Who else? I mean, you may never put it in that perspective, right, Anita? But think about that. You have 800 qualitative researchers worldwide. Most companies aren't even more than 100 people, and you have eight times that. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about your current responsibilities. What do they look like? So I love my job. It's been a fantastic uh, journey in, in Kantar. But what I'm responsible for is really looking after those 800 researchers and making sure that they are trained in best practice, everybody engaged in the right ways of working. We're also constantly looking at my small team in the Global Center, looking at innovating. So we're always sort of pushing the boundaries to try to harness the power of technology to rely not only on our classic approaches, but also incorporating new thinking and new ways of working, whether that's from behavioral sciences or um, neuroscience or back to our roots of psychology and social science. And we're also looking at creating strategies to hire, nurture, and make sure we retain the top talent. Our clients, therefore, can have access to the top qualitative expertise that can really inspire their strategy and help inspire their activation of their tactics as well. So that's really what I'm set out to do. It has a lot to do about the people and of course, what we then bring to our clients. Wow, that's, that's impressive. So in terms of moderators, and this may be challenging, but let's try to do it. Or frankly, let's have you try and do it. I don't think I could do it. What do you think are the must-have qualifications to be a great moderator? Sure. Well, first, I think I would, I would change the role uh, to be called researcher or qualitative consultant even and expand okay. it okay. beyond moderator. And the reason I say this, and I've, I've been sort of talking about this a lot lately, is that I think the role of qualitative research has really evolved over time. And it's evolving even faster now in the most recent years and in the months to come. So moderating to me signals really the, the aspect of interviewing, asking questions, you know, probing, getting responses. But I think the role of qualitative researcher or consultant goes well beyond to include analysis, incorporating other sources of data into their own primary research to tell a holistic story. I think consulting and also involves helping our clients to activate the insights, create action plans to make sure those insights get used in the business, and then being an ongoing strategic partner to clients. This is the way we're really seeing qualitative evolving and, and Kantar and what we're trying to deliver to our clients. So I sort of expand the term a little bit. First of all, being that bridge between the client's business and the consumer's world or the customer's world, that you need skills that sort of go from, from each end of the spectrum. So you have to be very intellectual, you have to be logical, but also creative. You have to be able to identify the typical and also go beyond stereotype. You've got to be articulate and yet a good listener. And you've got to be curious, but never lead respondents. 
And I think the other thing that's really important is you have to discover insights that nobody knew were required. I think that's the thing that I talk to qualitative people about all the time is that our clients come to us with a wealth of data about their customers and their consumers. There's so much data that clients already have. And so it's up to us to find and uncover new insights that can really inspire them. And that's a tall order, actually. So, you know, I think it's some, somebody put it best when they said, if you're curious by nature and empathetic in your heart, then you can become a great qualitative researcher. So those are the things that I'm really looking for. That's great. One of the things you touched upon, uh, I wanted to follow up a little bit, Anita, in terms of storytelling. In terms of a qualitative researcher, how important is being a, a great storyteller? It's critical. It's really critical. Okay. In fact, I think that's what really makes the average qualitative researcher, consultant, and from the exceptional ones. The ones who are exceptional can really tie together a story in, in a logical flow that also inspires, that evokes emotion, that evokes empathy in the audience, and that can really have the ability to transform and inspire a brand or a new product innovation. And those skills, I think, are something that you can teach and evolve and, and learn over time, um, but not everybody has that, and that's the tricky bit. And so those people who do have that expert storytelling ability and people who can present and really light up a room are those precious gems, you know, and clients will come back time and time again to hire those people. We see relationships that span decades where, where clients will leave organizations and they will always come back to the same researcher and they want to hire that person because of those skills. So I think it's critical and I think it's one of the things that's really fun about the profession. Is, is there one or two tricks or best practices that you could leave with the students in terms of if they wanted to be a better storyteller? I mean, obviously storytelling comes with experience. A yeah. lot of the students are, are starting out in their career, they're early on in their career in their 20s. Is there anything that jumps out that, hey, look, try to do this or, or read this or, or anything at all? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the ways to, to some of the tips would be to start strong and end strong, to also have an emotional hook in the middle. I think you have to take people on the journey with you. And I think your opening comments, um, your opening lines, if you know, that makes the first impression whether somebody's going to be interested or not. So I always say, for instance, in the beginning slides of an executive summary, you can't start off with a finding that's common sense, that somebody you know, walking down the street would know, you've got to start out really strong, some kind of insight that is a surprise, something the client didn't know before, and something that uh, evokes that emotion or that empathy right out of the gate. And then I think ending strong, and I think also trying to make the complex simple, you know, that is one of the, the hardest things that we have to do, but it's really, really important. And I think the best way to do that is to, to watch, you know, inspiring speakers and start to emulate some of the things that they do. TED Talks are always really good. So finding those people that you can um, follow, follow their lead, if you will, and take some, some cues from the best presenters you can surround yourself with. That's fantastic. I think a lot of takeaways there for sure. So you mentioned earlier about innovating our offer. What innovations do you see that are taking place in Qualitative currently? Well, there's a lot happening, and I think that's what's so exciting. And we always talk about, is it man or machine or man and machine? 
And I think in, in qualitative, it's definitely a combination. But we are seeing that many of our clients still appreciate the classic approaches like focus group, interviews, ethnographies, going into homes and observing um, how people interact with their products or their brands. But it's also important to utilize the power technology now gives us. Technology really gives us access to people in spaces and places that we never had before through the use of mobile apps or unmoderated video collection, or even by social media analysis, which can include analyzing conversations as well as semiotic image analysis of Instagram posts. In Kantar, we're starting to experiment now a lot with AI and using chatbots to collect massive amounts of data, but also text AI to help us analyze unstructured data in much faster ways. And it's really those qualitative skills that we just spoke about that help us uncover those insights and tie that story together because they're really more relevant now in our new world where we have excesses of data. The second part that we're really kind of looking at it in our qualitative offer at Kantar is that we now have new access to thinking about the brain, the psyche, senses, and emotions that really help us understand the way in which people make decisions, the way people form relationships with brands, who and how they trust various brands, and the whole field of cognitive psychology and behavioral science have really added a great deal to our understanding of human behavior. And it's combining this new thinking with our roots in psychology and sociology that really gives us that complex understanding of, of what makes people do what they do. And I think that's the other thing I just add because I've been in the field for many years now. Again, back to the theme of lifelong learning a lot of the new thinking in behavioral science wasn't available to us 20 years ago, and now it is. So it's been so much fun to add to our knowledge base and to help us really take that into our work. That's great. And, and, and speaking about adding, I have a feeling you're going to add to the 800 great researchers that you have on the qualitative team in 2020. I've seen the future, and you're going to add 50 more. So let's assume that is the number. When you look at that and you have candidates in front of you, is there soft skills that you look for in a potential candidate? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and, you're, and it's funny because I think at the moment we have about 57 open roles in qualitative. Oh, is that, is that so right? You are, I was, so I was seven off. You wow. were only okay, seven sorry off. About that. I mean, that was like you a know what? Ball. You know what? Shame on me. I'm sorry about that, Anita. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that, was, that was really good. So, no, there are some soft skills we look for. Absolutely. I think the first is communication skills, which I guess could be soft or hard, but this includes listening. I think in the, in the interview process, you know, the questions candidates ask, um, the way they ask, and of course, presenting. Those are tricky, you know, skills to find. It's a, it's a lot yep. to have in one person. Yep. Uh, the second yep. thing I think is um, hard work. You know, I think the life of a qualitative researcher can be a little bit glamorous at times, but it also can be um, exhausting. You know, we have, we work long hours. Sometimes we work evenings. We travel extensively. So you've got to have a lot of energy, um, be willing to work hard. But of course, the payoff can be really great. And I think the other thing is this intellectual curiosity. We've been talking a lot about that. You know, you, you think it would be obvious, but it's not always obvious um, that people are very curious. But I think one of the things that really sets apart the sort of average researcher and the exceptional ones 
is that constant curiosity and always wanting to push themselves to go a bit beyond to keep learning and, and incorporating new ways of working and, and new ways of understanding what makes people do what they do. Those are the things I'm, I'm really looking for in candidates. That's great. So you're obviously on the advisory board of the program and we all of us thank you. And the program is 100% better for you being on that. What does it mean to be on the advisory board? Well, thank you for saying that. It's meant a great deal to me. I really have enjoyed my interactions with the other board members and learning from them. Also um, from the students, guest lecturing in some of the classes and participating in career fairs and getting to know them as people has been really fun. And I would just say as a piece of advice to the students is to, you know, really get involved in classes, take on any extra assignments that you can, say yes, find those internships, find a great mentor, and then practicing those analysis and presentation skills, I think will really go a long way for you um, as you set yourself up for your career. But I've really enjoyed the advisory board. No, that's great. Let's talk a, a little bit about what you just said. You said find a great mentor. I know that I mentor a number of students and actually professionals who have, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years of experience, how do you do that? How do you, in, in terms of if somebody wanted to be, wanted you to be their mentor, what's the correct way to reach out to you? And also, what's the incorrect way? What's the, yeah, don't do blank if, oh. you, if you really <laughs> want me to be your mentor? Because I think both, I'm not trying to be cute here, but I think both are really critical, right? Yes. Well, I think at Michigan State, it seems like we do have now a professional um, setup for finding a mentor, and I think that there's a, an organized yep. um, vehicle for doing so. So I would say I would first encourage you to go the formal route and okay. you know, apply through the program that's been set up through, through the MSMR program. But in terms of informal mentoring and how I would go about it, I would find... Um, situations that, you know, sort of um, lend themselves naturally to that happening. So for instance, if I met you at a career fair and we had a connection or we set up a call afterward to discuss, you know, a topic of some kind, or maybe you join Cantar, I think that makes for a more natural sort of um, relationship mentoring situation. And then I think in your own, you know, work experiences, I would find people who you really want to emulate, who you sort of say, you know what, um, they have the skills, they have the role, they have the way of working that I really want to foster in myself. And try to find things that maybe you would like to develop that you don't know that are necessarily there, perhaps. Try to seek out those people in your own working world. And that can be in a formal way or an informal way. I had mentors throughout my career in both situations where I was part of a formal mentoring program and we met, you know, once a month on the phone and I would come with an agenda and questions. And those were very, very valuable to me. But I've also had informal mentoring in my career. And I still do, where I have various individuals in high positions that I just seek to spend time with. And they may not even know that, in a way, I see them as a mentor until I tell them later on. I just try to find ways to have a mutual relationship where I can add value to what they're doing and maybe I can also learn from them along the way. I think you can have a little bit of both, formal and informal okay. uh, mentoring relationship. No, that's terrific. All right, last question. Final comments. What advice would you give the current students of the MSMR program? I think I would say uh, my advice, work on really developing your analysis 
in presenting skills in a formal way in school, that would be fantastic because I think that will serve you well in no matter what role you take at an internship, whether that's at school, if there's a different project and they need a leader, you know, raise your hand to lead, raise your hand to take on the extra work. Even if you don't feel qualified, don't feel afraid to fail, but try to be a bit fearless and just go for it because this is your time. Uh, I think that's, I think that's important. Um, I really do. Constant curiosity, lifelong learning, just a few takeaways from Anita. I can't thank you enough, Anita. I really appreciate your time today on Spartan Insights. My name is Merrill Zubro, and thanks for listening.